Blog Talk Radio. Sounds like that pause is getting longer. I always wait so I don't start talking and get cut off when they go, Blog Talk Radio. I want to welcome all of our guests here uh, for, who are listeners, all of our listeners tuning in. And I want to wish you all a happy, happy, blessed Easter on this Saturday, April the 4th. For those of you who are off work, I had to work yesterday, Good Friday, and then, uh, of course, Easter is this Sunday, April the 5th. So I want to wish everybody a, a happy, blessed, blessed Easter. We have a wonderful guest uh, that, that we're going to be bringing, with you, bringing before you today. Whether you tune in live here by dialing in or through the chat room or you listen to the show, as so many listeners do in the archives. But this author is a national best-selling author. And she's a native, she's of Chicago. We're going to ask her about her latest book, Unforgiving, and some other books that she's even co-authored with another guest we had on, Relentless, Nobody's Perfect, and No Regrets, and Blessed Assurance. I'm going to introduce her in more detail later, but just wanted to let you guys know what is in store for you today here on off the shelf radio. I always like to thank our loyal listeners who've been here with us going on 11 years now. When we started out over at Blake Radio, and they're still going. They have some smooth jazz over there. And then we came to Blog Talk Radio, I'm going to say maybe four or five years ago. I just want to thank you for your support. I never like to launch into the show without thanking our listeners who've been with us this entire time. And for those who tuning in for the first time, I always like to introduce myself. And tell you that I'm Denise Tiny, and I'm I'm coming to you today from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Looking looking for change, so hopefully soon I'll be telling you I'm coming to you from another another area. But I want to thank you for your support, and I encourage you to get a copy of my new book, Love Pour Over Me. And and you get mystery if you like mystery, because every book's not for everybody. But mystery, romance, these complicated relationships that you get to watch people evolve. There are high chase scenes, scenes that will keep you on the edge of your seat. And the, and and there is a murder mystery, as I said, in, in the novel. There's just a lot in Love Pull Over Me, but it's what the, 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 the people, how they impact each other and help each other to evolve and how they influence each other. I think that's what you will really, really appreciate a complicated relationship between a father and a son, and we know there are a lot of those, and a relationship between a man and a woman. So, and 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 four friends. There are not so many characters that you get confused with the characters. You can get to know each of them and see how they do impact each other in different ways. Again, it's love for over me, and you can get it in ebook or print form. Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, eBook It, Walmart. If you don't see it on the shelves, just go up to the clerk. Say you want to get a copy of Love Pull Over Me by Denise Turney, and they can get a copy for you because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And you can read free excerpts at my website, which is chistel.com, C-H-I-S-T-E-L-L.com. So please go out and gift yourself with a copy of Love Pull Over Me and let me know how you enjoy it. Now I want to go back to what we I started this show with our special guests. We have been very fortunate to have some wonderful, wonderful guests on 
off the shelf and the, the types of guests we're having and the publicists who are coming out to me are expanding. Uh, some of the guests are even successful business owners who've asked to be on the show. So I'm really honored to bring today's guest in front of you. And she is, I told you the titles of some of her books, she earned an MBA from the University of Chicago. And, again, her latest novel is Unforgiving. I, I was saying Unforgiving. Unforgiving, F-O-R-G-I-N. G-I-F-O-R-G-I-V-I-N-G, Unforgiving, is her latest novel. She also co-authored, and we had the other guest on Off the Shelf, Relentless. Uh, she's written Nobody's Perfect, No Regrets, Blind Faith, Blessed Assurance, Still Waters, Lips, Sleeping Dogs Lie, The Midnight, Clear, Broken, Destined, Humbled. I could go on and on. And her book, Chosen, was nominated for Best Christian Fiction for 2009, and No Regrets is an Essence Magazine bestseller. Blind Faith won the 2003 Romance and Color Award, a BET New Spirit Book of the Year Award. And you can learn more about this awesome, awesome author who is Patricia Haley Glass. You can learn more about her at her website, which is patriciahaley.com and I'll spell that for you. You could click over to her website now even as you listen to today's interview and she's she's gifted us with her presence here before it off the shelf. And her website is p a t r i c i a h a l e y.com. patriciahaley.com. Again that's p a t r i c i a H-A-L-E-Y.com, PatriciaHaley.com. You can learn more about her books. You can learn more about her, read her bio, any upcoming events that she's going to be at, at her website, even as you listen to today's show. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Patricia. Thank you, Denise. You know, I'm going to have, have you do my intros all the time. You make it sound so impressive. I'm like, did I do all that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you put it like that, like, wow. No, but I am so honored to be here, and, and thank you. 11 years, girl, that's a long time to be in this business it, doing, it, doing it this. Went so, it, went so, it went so fast. I mean, it, before you, it's like raising kids. Before You think it'll take forever, and before you know it, you're like, wow, they graduated from college. It just goes by so, so, so quickly. Yeah. It, it is so good to have you on off the shelf. For our listeners who did, and to our listeners, if you do a search in the archives for Patricia Haley, her, you can listen to her previous interview and even learn more about her and enjoy, give you a little more enrichment in today's interview because we're not going to cover everything we covered in the first interview. But for our off-the-shelf listeners who didn't catch your last interview, can you tell us what life was like growing up, and I said you were a Chicago native, I stand corrected, what life was like for you growing up in Rockford, not Chicago, but Rockford, Illinois. Right, and Rockford is, is about an hour and a half west of um, Chicago. It's up like, you know, we live uh, like 20 minutes from the Wisconsin border and about an hour from the Iowa border and an hour and a half from Chicago. So we're up in that that corner of Illinois. But, you know, when I grew up, it was um, it was back in the uh, 60s and 70s, and, you know, things were, were different because it's a small town. Rockford is a very conservative town, and I, I do mean that literally. And, you know, so for, you know, particularly for a little black girl growing up there, you know, I didn't even appreciate, you know, how much of a strong family foundation I had and how they really sheltered us from a lot of things until I went away to college. But, you know, growing up there, I mean, you know, I in the late 60s, they were just in Rockford, early 70s, were just starting the um, – desegregation and, and integration. So there were times, you know, when I was growing up where I was the only, only, um, you know, black student in my classes, you know, only person around. I remember 
I remember the one story I always tell is I remember when I was in school, and I was in sixth grade, and I was so excited because I was really, really good at math. I was just blessed at math. That's just my thing. And so we were taking a um, an IQ test they gave us. And uh, I was really excited because when we took the test, it was all math related and, and sequences and stuff. And then when we came when they, when they came back to get the scores, I couldn't sleep that night. I was so excited. They came back, and they, the next day they said, well, we lost your results. Everybody else mm. in the class got theirs, but they lost mine. <laughs> and so wow. I didn't even, you know, and I was like, now, now that I'm older now, I'm like, well, yeah, they could have, they have it somewhere. They could have gotten out the archives, but it didn't matter because what that said for me is I was, you know, really hurt and, and disappointed at that time, but it didn't mm-hmm. stop anything. God had a plan for me. And, you know, even after all of that, I ended up getting a scholarship to Stanford and wow. you know, got to go to the University of Chicago and Northwestern. And, you know, nothing that what I know that even when people intend wrong or evil for you or try to keep you from getting what's coming to you, if God has it for you and you're willing to step out there and reach out for it, you're going to get what's yours and nobody on earth can stop you from getting what God has for you. That's what I learned. Mm. And that's why to this day, no matter what it looks like, you know, whether it's writing, my job, whatever, no matter what it looks like, I know that God has my back. And if God has my back, nobody can hold me back. Listen to you. <laughs> Go ahead, girl. <laughs> so okay. that's what it was like growing up in Rockford, you know. <laughs> okay. And I was that, blessed. Yes. Yeah, and what a what a wonderful wonderful message. Now you said you you I know you've worked you have an engineering degree, mm-hmm. and I have to ask you you told us about growing up in Rockford and the, the situation that you had, but you said getting a scholarship to Stanford and good for you. Now all of this background, how did writing enter into the picture? You have an engineering degree. You, it doesn't. You wouldn't think a novel writer and engineering would like be something that would be compatible. How did you start? Did you think, wow, you know what? I'd like to write a novel. Where did that enter in the picture in your life? I, you know, when I think back, I mean, I remember in high school I had to do like a writing assignment. I remember doing really well, and I remember the, the English teacher saying, you know, you have a really, you're really creative in that way. But I was so fixated on math and science that that was my thing. I wasn't focusing on anything else, and. And so college wasn't, you know, I didn't even do that great in English, in my English writing classes. It wasn't, because it wasn't something I was interested in. I just did it because you had to do it. You had to take the class. But mm-hmm. one thing I can say is that my family, my mother's family and my father's family, my grandparents, were great storytellers. I mean, when you go to, like, uh, my mother's family or tenants and my, my father's family, Haley's, if you go to any of those places, you know, a, a gathering of those people, and take a few of us to get together and we have so much conversation, so much dialogue, so many stories and history and all that, that that's just unnatural for me. And so uh, really I think that that's what I am is I've always been a good storyteller. But mm-hmm. the craft of writing came later. But I just really just started. It wasn't like I said, oh, I want to sit down and write. I just started. And even my cousin Kim, Kim Lawson Roby, which, you know, everybody knows. She's, she's such a phenomenal writer. Yeah. Like Kim and I, we grew up. We were like sisters. We, we Neither one of us had sisters, so we grew up. Our mothers are sisters, so we've always been very, very close, very tight. But Kim and I, I mean, we could literally, when we were growing up, we'd be on the phone for hours. Then we see each other every weekend, but we talk every day for hours. Our parents like, what are you talking about? And we never ran out of things to talk about because that's just who we are. We, we, you know, we just, we're storytellers. Wow. 
Kendrick, okay. So that's like a little unknown secret that you two are cousins and both of you are authors and you love you you love story. Fascinating. Right. Can you give a you well, before to our office chef before we went live, Patricia and I were talking and she said I was going through her novels and your latest is relentless. No, no. So we want to talk about her latest that she was telling me about before we <laughs> Went live on on the air, but she said she writes a novel lately. Been almost one every six months, which is just very impressive. That said, can you give our listeners treat us with a synopsis of your latest, Unforgiving? Unforgiving, yes. And um, instead of reading, I won't read the back. I'll just tell you, Unforgiving is is number seven in my Mitchell family drama series, and. It's overall. It's about this family who um, the father. It was it was like a modern day King David, King Solomon, the Bible story. But I brought into modern day time. It's set in Detroit, and there's this father who he starts this this um, this this um, business with his wife, and they are rolling. I mean, they are really you know making the money. They're a powerhouse, and then he gets. Um, she ends up having children, having to stay home, and he ends up getting, you know, um, she hires an assistant for him. He ends up having an affair with the assistant. This is way back in the beginning of the series, book one and anointed. He ends up having an affair, and and fast forward, there's a child that comes out of that, and 20 years later this child is 20-something years old, and the father now has to turn his business over to one of his sons, the one from his, Don from his first wife or Joel from his second wife. He ends up keeping with the Bible story. He ends up turning it over to Joel, the younger son. Of course, that creates a firestorm between the mothers, the sons, and just whole disarray. They're constantly battling and filing and undercutting and, you know, there's blaming. And, and, and it goes on and on um, until you get to this seventh novel. You've gone through where the son has gotten this, gotten the company, Joel, and done well, and then he's failed. He's He's gotten, you know, too caught up in himself and, lusted, you know, going after women. So he's gotten this thing all derailed, and then the other son comes back and saves it. Then the daughter who was... Um, um, estranged from the family, she comes back wanting to take claim for herself. Then the mother doesn't want anybody to have it, and it's, you go through this whole thing. And then Joel has married this this young woman from India because he wanted to basically get her father's company and combine with his, and it was a mess. You get to Unforgiving, where now mm-hmm. it's like the final battle. <laughs> you know, at the point where <laughs> is this the last somebody, book in the series? The last book, not the wow. last book. Yeah. Now they made a reunion. <laughs> Before you, before you, before you start, did you know this was when you started writing it? Before you started giving a synopsis of Unforgiving, when you started writing it, did you know this would be the last book in the series? No, no. As a matter of fact, when I first started ah. writing, I didn't know it was going to turn out this way at all. I would have written it in a different order. I mean, I really, I started off with Chosen, Destined, and Broken. And actually, when you look at the series now, for somebody starting the series, those are books in the middle of the series. It starts oh. off with the Joel is twenty. And he's taken over the company, and he's, you know, then he breaks it, and then the next one, Destin Don, comes and resaves it. The next one, Broken the Daughter. But people were like, oh, well, wait, what happened in the beginning? I want to know what happened in the beginning. So I went back and wrote Anointed and Betrayed. Ah, okay. And then, then people were like, okay, well, now, now what's going on? And then half people were like, I want to know what's in the beginning. The other people were like, no, 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 I want you to keep going forward. So I went back, did the backstory on those two books. Then I came back and picked up at, um, Humble, which is the book that came before this one, where where you start to see some changes in Joel, but he still isn't quite there. But he's realizing that he cannot run this company and have the same anointing and favor that God had given him without listening to God. 
<laughs> you can't you can't get God's blessing and be on your own. You know, so um so he comes back but then then we lead to unforgiving. And the reason why it's the last one, I know people are like because people are like, uh-uh, wait, no, you can't, you know, you, you can kids right through their grandkids, their great-grandkids, you know, and I'm like, Keep no. Keep it going. Yeah, but, you know, it's interesting because when you talk about I have done six, a book every six months, and, and it's been a blessing. I mean, I know people people write me and say how they've been touched by it or it's, it's been has some impact in their life. But I also know that I, I really do write, and I mean this sincerely, to the glory of God, and I have to hear from God. If, if he's saying, look, you're done with that series, I need to be done. Otherwise, I'll keep writing. Then I'll be tired and I'll be all worn out and stressed out. And then I'm not putting in it what I need to put in it because I'm out of order. Mm. So if okay. it's time to let them rest, it's time to let them rest. I want to, you know, I want to hold on to them because I know them now. These are like people that live that live down the street from me. I know these people, <laughs> but I got to put them on a vacation plane and let them go. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But I'm, okay. I'm honored when people say they want me to keep writing about them. I get right. that, and I really I love that. But there's something else new that, you know, I started this series yeah. with Gracie. It's a new series. So now that my time and energy is going to be on, on that, on um on Maxwell Montgomery, that series. So I'm, it's, um, I'll am i be working on that with Redeem. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So in, for, in forgiving, what, how, when it comes to closure without giving the story away, you gave us the backstory for the other books in the series uh is what is there can you share one or two events that unforgiving centers around that 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 really helped to move the story forward yes um at the beginning of unforgiving it really builds from humble you know joel has like i said he has his wife he's brought from india he's married he's married for the wrong reasons and unfortunately she doesn't have anybody else she can't go back home now because you know culture won't let her just come back divorced and she's pregnant and he's trying to decide if he's going to, you know, just even because she's pregnant, that's not enough. But he's trying to decide. He wants to do the right thing now. So he he goes through that process. But the person that he really wants to be restored, he wants to go back to the company and prove himself. He failed before, and he wants to show that, yes, I have what it takes to do it. Um, and his mother, his, his uh, stepmother, which is um, his father's first wife, the one who's been at the helm of causing all the chaos, Mm-hmm. they become unlikely allies and that mm. and 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 they're at and they're at odds with her son Don which is the old which is the the other son who had come back to save the company after his brother had messed it up so they're at odds with him so it creates a, a really unexpected alliance but you start to see it there's just some some wonderful things I think in in the story and I, and I step back not even as the writer but just as the um as a reader but you know there's scenes where the two women the two women his the first wife and the and the second wife who are at odds they meet um Dave now has passed away so we we know that the father has has passed in, in one of the earlier books and chosen but they meet at the cemetery it was his birth it's his birthday so they meet there unexpectedly and they have a really interesting conversation and you start to see that even they recognize that they cannot go on forever being angry and bitter and mad, that there's going to have to be some sense of forgiveness for this family to survive. Otherwise, their children's children will still carry this torch and this banner and this sense of um, division, and that, that can't work. So the women start to see, maybe I do, i got to give some things up. i got to let some things go. The man is gone. Neither one of us has him now. 
we got to figure out how we can move forward and give peace for our children. Mm. Mm-hmm. Are there any new characters? I would imagine that maybe you don't, but for the listeners and the readers of your series, any new characters introduced in Unforgiving? There aren't, I'm thinking, there aren't any new characters. Um, there are... There aren't any new characters. There are some characters like that may have throughout the series. Each book, a character had m- more visibility. And the and the first one in, in in Anointed way back in the beginning, the father, um, Anointed was about him. He had an anointing to take forth, build this company. Betrayed is what happened afterwards. Madeline, the mother, it's really her story and how the fallout of her from the from his betrayal affected her and her kids. Chosen is about Joel, the son that was given the. Um, the right to take over the company, the young son who was they thought was not ready and immature, but the father and God said he was ready. Um, Destin is about the next one, in the, is the Don, the son who felt like he was slighted. He's the one that comes back, and he's destined to fulfill this role in the family, of basically uniting him. He thought it was to come back to save the company, but it's really to save his family. And so that's his piece. Broken is really about the daughter who she was estranged from the family for many years. Keeping with the story of King David, you know that mm-hmm. in the Bible, that daughter was raped by her brother. Right. So there are some brothers who have died and some suicides and things have happened. So you realize broken is her story. And then the one comes after that is humbled, where Joel has to come back. He has to humble himself to the people he's wronged and before God to get himself on track. Otherwise, he's going to keep spinning out of control. And we get to the last one. Unforgiving is really about everybody in the story. Everybody has a voice. In the other stories, there was like one person who had a primary role in the story. This Ah. one, everybody has to come to a place where they have to look at making some changes. Even the daughter, the daughter who, who can't stand her, the, the you know, they consider Joel illegitimate. They can't stand him. Um, Don has to make some decisions. You know, the older son, the, both mothers, like I said, everybody has a role in this um, in this family to, uh, you know, to, to make a change. And there's one character who has been in almost, out of all my 13 books, out of my 13 books, She's been in at least eleven. She's been in eleven. I'll say like eleven. Okay. Um, of my novels, and it's it's um it's Big Mama. It's um you know um this uh Emma Emma Walker is her name, and and her name okay. comes from two of my my spiritual mothers. Two of my spiritual mothers I put their names together, but she lives in Detroit, and she's always the one words of wisdom to this. You know, she's a, a church mother. She's um she has words of wisdom, so she always pops up. So she always has her cameo. Even if it's on a flight somewhere, <laughs> I did a short story one time, and she was literally on the flight with the guy. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, okay, but okay. So this is unforgiving for off-the-shelf listeners and the people who've been keeping up with the series, uh, Patricia Haley Glasses series. Unforgiving is closure, and this is where all the characters. In the book, like she said, will have their say. So if you've been following the series, you'll definitely want to get Unforgiving. When did it come out? And is it in ebook and in print? It's, it came out April 1st. It's in print. And wow. The, the ebook should be any day now. It should be. Yeah, I want to, that's why I'm really happy to be on your show. It's right. It's close to wow. the end date. Wow. <laughs> oh, my. It just came out. Yeah, it's fresh. So, yeah, it should be an ebook. Um, all my book, the um, all the books in the series are in ebook, and it should be out. When I looked, it wasn't out there yet, but it should be within the next month or so. The ebook should be available, so it's it's coming if it's not already out there. Are online. you going to any events where people can come out and talk to you about Unforgiving, the rest of the book in the series, and maybe get a signed copy 
of unforgiving? Yeah, and normally I do a, a lot of um, book events and book tours, but um, I, I was on medical leave earlier this year, so I'm really taking it easy. But okay. I'm going I'm gonna be in Rockford. Um, on my website, it has um, like you mentioned earlier, patriciahaley.com under the tour section. But I will be in in Rockford. I'll be in um, just Illinois local, Champaign, Illinois, and I'll be in Milwaukee for some events. Um, and that's all I'm going to be doing in the personal personal events. Um, okay. This, you know, for this six months. Now in the fall, that'll be different because I'll have another book come out, Redeem with Gracie Hill. So we'll be we'll be um, looking at other sites then. Now it's redeemed. It sort of segues into my next questions. We had Gracie on, and she was a pleasure on Off the Shelf, and she's co-authored the, the uh, Relentless for our listeners with Patricia. Is she? So she's she's also co-wrote. You said redeemed when that comes out. She's working. That so that's something that the both the two of you or will you continue to write novels on your own and with her, or are you both going down more of a road where you're going to co-author? There was another set of authors who did that, and they had a lot of success with it. I can't think of their names right now, but is that the path you both are going on more co-authoring, or are you still going to write some novels that that only you author? Yeah, I'll do both. I'll I'll definitely do some, because um, Grace and I, we have at least, we Redeem comes out this fall, but we have uh, two more books in that series, um, Revenge, and then we haven't decided the title of the fourth one in the series. But, yeah, we have a couple more uh, to do together. And, so, and that's been... An absolute dream partnership. I kid you not. It's been, we've never had a disagreement in the writing. We've never wow. had um, any controversy. I, I mean, really, we pray together. It's been, it's just been wonderful. And I can say that I've written other, I've written other, um, not a full novel, but I've written anthologies with mm-hmm. other, with other people. And um, one, and, and I, you know, it could be, it could be really, really challenging. I'll just put it that way. It could be really challenging, even with people who are, writing christian fiction it can be very challenging because people are people and so Mm -hmm. and so this is one of those situations where i really want to write the series with another person and just finding Mm -hmm. the um just waiting for god to give that right that right person and she has just been a dream person i mean really we and and i grew up with grace and i went to high school together but we lived okay our backyards touched each other like you know our, our siblings were friends and we were friends and so yeah but but i hadn't seen her in like Probably twenty five years when we ran when um, twenty at least wow. twenty years when when she came out to one of my book signings and gave me her book and we were talking and and I went home that night and I told my husband I said you know I um I think I think Gracie would be, is the person I'm supposed to write the series with because I've been waiting for like years to find somebody oh, okay. and I said oh, okay. she's the one and it's been perfect wow. it's been a dream isn't that something she said mm-hmm. the same thing she said it was really because I was asking her how does that work. And she said it just it really really flows and it's 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 mm-hmm. it just works so well now, and relentless is that the is that refresh my memory is that the first book that you co-authored with Gracie? Yes, yes. Relentless can you came fall, out this past fall. Kid, so attorney the Maxwell Montgomery, he's mm-hmm. going after a church in Philadelphia. Can you let our listeners know why has he targeted this specific church in, in Relentless, uh, the, the attorney? Why is he going after this church? Well, one of the things you realize about Maxwell Montgomery, as you first when it first started off, he's like this dynamic, 
you know, rich attorney. He's he's a civil attorney. He he's constantly, like I said, going after churches, ministers, looking for any type of indiscretions. He's always bringing cases, finding victims and people who are suing the church for you know for fraud or for um, also some any always many sexual improprieties, you know, or or all kinds of things. So he's he's always going after them. And you think he's like doing it because he wants to really bring um, you know honor integrity to the church, and you realize quickly that that's not it at all. He was really scarred in his childhood by something that happened in the church with his family, you know, his mother and father. Without giving all the story away, his mother and father were very loyal to the pastor and to the church. And mm-hmm. and, 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 um, and something went down, and basically the pastor got off scot-free, so to, so to speak, and the parents, his parents paid the price, you know, financially and, and with some jail time. So, mm. And it caused him to really have so much anger and animosity because they lived, They went from living in this nice middle-class lifestyle to basically, you know, practically being homeless. And, 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 and he um, he was really angry and bitter. And so he spent his, his the last 20 years getting his degree, getting getting his law degree, and going after those people that he thinks has wronged them. And, he, and it, particularly because he thinks people are so gullible and just following the minister and the church into, you know, into into um, poverty, so he's he's setting things right. But this one particular church that he's going after, it turns out this is the minister who used to be a young minister back in the day out in um, outside of uh, Philadelphia and Chester. He used to he was the minister that was at the church where his parents were you know were, uh, were wrong. No one knows that. That's what you. But he wasn't out. the you, pastor. You don't figure that he out. wasn't the. He wasn't the pastor. He was just a minister in the church, right? No, he was the pastor. He was young at the oh, time, oh. young and inexperienced. You know, just had some growing to do himself. He's now this now pastor is going to this, this this bishop in in um in Philadelphia of this large mega you know mega oh, church. Oh, okay. So yeah, so maximal and he's changed. He's very he's very much even even you see as through the, in the story where he's tempted to to take some money to do something that's that's if it definitely illegal but even even if it wasn't illegal it was at least immoral um and against the values of the church and the pastor doesn't do it but that's not enough because maximo montgomery he's relentless to the point that he's willing to do whatever is required to get that person guilty and 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 to go down even if he has to you know add a few extra pieces (laughs) to the puzzle that didn't necessarily exist before (laughs) Uh, now now how was maxwell when this this happened to his parents how old was he? Was he like five or six years old when his parents and they had to do time? Was he like very, very young? Was it was so it was so impressionable upon him? Yes, he was. He was. He was um like uh was it eight or nine. And then he, he oh, stayed with them yeah. for a while. Yeah, but then when he came, but then when he got turned um when he turned seventeen or so, whatever he he moved out. He moved out and went and stayed at the shelter. He he he. Oh. Emancipated himself from his parents and went to stay at the shelter and and went through college did everything on his own he, oh. with little little to no contact with them. Yeah. So he's he's, struggling he's not with cl- things. Yeah, he's not close to them, but he's upset about what is. Maybe he lost respect for them, but did they still stay loyal to the church even after going to jail, everything, losing everything? Because some pastors, I don't care how much yes. you got, you can be living on pennies, and they're like, give more, give more, give more, give more. And you're like, yo, this dude, can bar- he's barely buying his groceries, and you're asking him for more money. <laughs> it's like, slow down. Yep, yep. <laughs> but and he, the, they did stay loyal. 
they stayed loyal, and that even infuriated him more because he's like, well, what? I mean, don't you have any sense? Like, but what he doesn't, and so he he thinks that people are just, you know, they're so naive and gullible. So he thinks he's saving these these gullible people. But what you'll see is that Maxwell is battling the church. But it's not the his. He's really what he doesn't understand is he's battling God. He's going up against the 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 entire religious structure because just because ministers ministers are, let's say people is called of God, but you know they're not perfect people. Just like throughout the Bible, you know Paul was not a perfect person, but he David was not a perfect person, but he had the ear of God because he understood how to seek forgiveness when he failed, and he did some crazy stuff. He sent a man to to his death just so he could have his wife, you know, just so he could have a man's woman, you know. But he understood the, that once I, I, I seek forgiveness and I turn away from that, God forgives me and I'm fresh and clean and new in God's sight and I can move on. People are not perfect. Are they called to a higher standard? Yes. But are they also to be, to be um, you know, demonized by us or are we to, let, to, we to pray for them and and and, and get ourselves in the right place ourselves and let God handle some of those things. That's what I believe. But for the in the story, you see that he's going after all these people um and then after relentless you get to redeem, he finds this one pastor that he's going after. He's like, "Okay, his, this is the next big church, so that's automatically on my list." And he can't find anything on the man. Even when even when put in tempting type situations, the pastor does not cave. He does not fall. Is he? Is the pastor angry about this attack that's coming on him? Yes. You see all his human human frailties and and fallacies, but he continues to just rely on God to get him through it. And that's where it comes to the point where Max Montgomery will finally come to the point where he realizes that you know what, you know, even with my best effort, I can't find any fault in this guy. I, I can't find particularly anything legally wrong. So you know what? He's going to be faced to. Um, He's going to be forced with a situation where he's going to need the pastor for something. The only person in his life he really, truly loves is his nephew. Something happens, he's forced to, yeah. to trust in anything, anything. And the pastor is the one who's praying and trust, you know, and praying and believing for this young man. And that's where, that's where, because his pastor kept himself clean, he stayed, he, he stayed away from these temptations, so there was nothing that Maxwell could hang on to. So when the time came for him to need God, for Maxwell to need God, and to, to really need something miraculous to happen, the one guy who had been a good example before him was able to speak into his life. That's mm-hmm. what we have to be. Now, are Maxwell's parents, are they still living? And does he, I don't want to get a story away, but does he, so he cuts off with his parents, even at a young age, goes to college, everything by himself, goes to live in a shelter. Are there two questions? Are his parents still living in when, re, when relentless unfolds? And do, do they come back into each other's lives? His parents are living, and his father is 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 really battling some health issues. So, but you'll see, even as hard as he he like he like when they call, he doesn't want to talk to them. He doesn't have he doesn't have anything to do with them. But throughout the story in Relentless, you see that he's always uh, sending an envelope of cash to the hospital to pay the doctor bill. Like nobody's asked him. He the parents aren't asking. His sister isn't asking. He calls the hospital himself, and he knows how much they owe. He's sending this money. He, he's doing what he can from afar. He doesn't want to have to go to Delaware, down to Wilmington, Delaware, to see them. It's like an hour away. He doesn't want to do any of that. But he stays in touch to some degree. When he gets the call that his father is really sick and, you know, mm-hmm. near death, of course, all the things that he hated and that he was despised suddenly go away. It's like he needs to get there. 
Yeah, that there, happens. That happens. Doesn't happen. That's reality, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Then you're like, okay, you're forgiven. I just got to right, come see right. you. Yes. Hopefully you do it in time where you can work and yeah, yeah, exactly. you and make a difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. his father gets better. So then, you know, his father gets better too quickly. So for Max, was well, back to usual. All those old feelings and all that anger and hurt that he had, he's hanging on, you know, he's back there. <laughs> you know, so. Oh, my so. goodness. But he, but he is he he um like I said he has a sister and her son is the one person that he truly truly uh, loves yeah there is a love uh, interest in the story you know that yeah and I was gonna ask you about this 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 woman for our listeners is who is Nicole and what role does she play in Maxwell's life she is a a, a companion uh, but Maxwell is really married to his mission. He he. That oh, is his okay. first. That is his 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 focus. His, you know, his work. He works all the time around the clock. I mean, he is relentless in what he does. That's the title. And and so she's there, but she's good because she doesn't put a lot of pressure on him. She's also a go getter. She's um she's trying. She's going for partner at the company that she you know the, the um, company that she's in. So she works a lot of hours. They see each other when they can see each other. There's no pressure. He loves it. It's not until she has a near death experience that she's realizes that she wants a change she wants to slow down she wants to have a family she wants to get married uh-uh, not working for maximo she's changing the game she gotta go that's over <laughs> <laughs> okay. that's over yeah it isn't relentless it's over in redeem which comes out in the fall he's like she's you know back. what something like yeah because yeah. something happens and sometimes when things happen and when you're when everything's good you can be mean. You can do whatever you want to do, but yeah, there are yeah. times when you just don't want to be alone. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You see, so. so you, you, your story sounds so the, true to life. The thing with the the Maxwell, though, I would think that people after a while would say, "Why does he keep going after these churches? He's an attorney, isn't he?" I mean, I'm sure he has other cases because that would make him stick out a little too much, and people probably would start to distrust some of his claims if that's all 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 he's doing i'm interested in his parents though can you would what, what before his father got sick and what is is his mom like a housewife what what were they like when he was a young boy what were they what did they do for a living what were they what were their personalities like well they were just regular you know working working class but she was like the church treasurer and he was um he was a, the the trustee trustee slash oh, okay. church back then yeah so when the church got into a um uh, ah that state, explains uh, it yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah they were officers in the church but but people do I mean in the story you'll see in Relentless ministers like even he comes okay some people love him if you're the person who's a victim you're gonna look seek him out because you know that he's gonna get you paid like these are civil cases he's going so he's turned them into civil cases people that were wrong you know it it um some somebody that was wronged in the church and they feel wronged or they were you know you know, uh, something that happened, they can get, they can turn into some cash. So he always has these big cases, um, lots of media uh, coverage and publicity. But when you see him go to one of the, um, there's a meeting that the mayor calls, and he's calling some of the, the community leaders because they want to they want to attack, um, they want to help young people who are who are who are in trouble, you know, are at risk. So he comes, and the ministers that are there, are like you know, they there's a lot of murmuring because they all know who he is. They all, you know, dread, you know, him being in a, involved because they know what he does, and they always think that mm-hmm. he's going to be—they're going to be next on his list. But, but from the other side, 
you know, he's 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 wealthy, he has a lot of connections, he's very poised, he's he's spot on in front of the camera, he's always very debonair debonair. So he's like he's just like this uh, on paper he looks stellar. And there are people who are attracted or drawn to him because he has power and money. Mm. And if you're an attorney, if you have a civil case that you're looking to get paid, you're gonna to go to the the lawyer who gets results and he gets right. results. Okay. Even now, if you have come to, up with something. I have to ask you now, Bishop Jones, He's he was a minister at the church where Maxwell's parents went when before they got in trouble. And they, one was a trustee, one was a, the, um, and then you said she was a trustee or the treasurer. So they're handling the money. So, of course, mm-hmm. they take the fall. And it, what, Let me ask you this. Now, Bishop Jones has changed. He's grown up. He's learned. He's changed. Did he do something himself that... Did they end up doing time? Maybe that he should have no. done. No, oh, okay. and that's the problem. That's what. That's where Maxwell has the issue. He's like, you know, the he saw the he saw the pastor and his family grow up and live very well, you know, very comfortably. While his while while Maxwell's family and parents had to move from their nice you know suburban house to this you know uh, this tiny apartment, you know, where his he and his sister had to end up sharing a room. You know, it was like this tiny place. Um, and then they had to save some college money for him, but the college money was all gone. Everything was gone. Plus, he had to live with an aunt that was. Um, uh, she may, while his mother, while his parents were in prison, you were in jail. His mother was short term, but his father a little bit longer. But he lived with an aunt who wasn't very the nice, nice person. To him. <laughs> yeah, wasn't very nice to him. I'll just say mm-hmm. that. And so all these seeds have been planted, and and they're directed again at the church and at the minister, and particularly Bishop Jones. But it's not just at him; it's at the institution. And he just feels that his parents were so naive that they put the church before church and God before their own children, and he blames them for how his life turned out. Even though he turned out to be successful, he still doesn't mm-hmm. look at that. He looks at yeah. he looks at it that I didn't make it in spite. He looks at it. I made it in spite of in what you guys did. In spite of all me. this other right. stuff, right, 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 without right. your help, right, right, but right. I have to say that this story is really based on it's a modern day uh, Apostle Paul out of the Bible. It's that's why this man goes after the churches because it's really it's like a modern day story of how Paul goes. He, you know, Paul persecuted the churches before he was converted on the mm-hmm. on the road to Damascus. He was converted and then right. he became somebody who was just. I mean, he was on fire for the Lord. He was going to every church trying to convert everybody. Well, that's what his personality. His personality, yeah. even when he person, he never changed his personality. Right. He just changed right. his mission. His personality and who he's working for. Right. <laughs> yeah, his personality never ever changed. He was right. he was kind of even after he became an apostle. When you read some of his letters, it's almost like, how dare you disagree with me? Right. He even he still had that personality. You can see it. He wrote in there and made God be this or that. He almost like he wanted people who disagree with him hurt. Like it, right. it, it even comes through, and his <laughs> it does. His person, his personality was. How dare you disagree with me? And that never changed. I never saw that change in Paul. And we all we all are evolving, and and but that to me was the same. That part of him was never changed. And I love that that same energy and passion. You're right because I was just been reading in Corinthians this week, and I was looking at how he was talking to them about. Did I ever ask you for any money? I didn't. I never asked you for money. I always came and took care of myself. I came to you because I wanted to yes. bring the word. And you <laughs> can feel that. Like, did I ask you to do it's anything anger. for me? It's anger. <laughs> yeah, that never yes. went away. That ne- yes. he never. And there's some things that we don't resolve 
We don't. And even because, like with him, we can think, okay, look, he's spreading the word, so everything about him is perfect. No, that was an issue. He just never resolved it. He was had an attitude of, how dare you disagree with me? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's, you know what, and that's why... That's why I really want this character Maxwell Montgomery to be very strong, Grace Knight, very strong and relentless because it really does emulate that. It's he will he goes after them relentlessly, and then you see the conversion. And once you see the conversion, you'll see in the later chapters that he's going to be the same energy and passion that he's shown of bringing the church down. He's going to be looking to bring the church up. But of course, once you he has a reputation out there, so it's going to be yes. hard for people to even yes. believe him. Plus. Yeah. He has he's he's wrong some people. I mean, some people that end up going to prison and relentless as a result of his um his investigation. Some uh, not Bishop Jones, but there are other people who aren't aren't so thrilled about what's happened. So they're he's 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 accumulated some enemies. He's made along some the way, enemies. Let me say that. Yeah, yes. he's made some enemies. Now, this, yeah. it, okay. Now I know there's one scene in Relentless where Bishop Jones, and I have to ask you, did he really really give thought to working with Simmons and his drug scene scheme to raise money for the church. Did he really, because it looks like there's some people doing some illegal things that are entering into the picture and relentless. Did the pastor really give that thought or did he see it as a setup and just immediately say, no, I'll wash my hands of this. He didn't see it as a setup, but just for those who haven't, who haven't read it or may not, may need to be refreshed and relentless. There is a, 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 a associate pastor New, he's new on the on the on Bishop Jones's um, staff, and a uh, Bishop Jones goes back to the church one night. He finds out um, that there's um, one of his his pastors there, and he has he's doing some something that's inappropriate. He's there's a woman there, and she has a big bag of all kinds of pills and things, and it turns out that this minister is he's um, trafficking um, prescription drugs, and of course Bishop Jones doesn't want to have that to be anywhere in his church. He doesn't want anybody in his doing that so he tries to um his initial reaction was is to just cast the man out but then when the when the guy tells him that the minister tells him that you know i'm making a lot of money he tells him you know he's making um you know what was it i forget what it was it was uh it was, it was um thousands and thousands a week that he was making from this and so mm-hmm. the minister bishop jones who's gotten himself into this big huge expansion program Trying to ha- build a place for um, for troubled teens because he has a grandson that's that's in trouble. So he's trying to build this big troubled teen center, and he's run out of funding. And he can't get any more money funding from the board at the church. And so, for a moment, he thinks about this might be a way for me to get that that yeah. extra money. Yeah, he's tempted. He's tempted. Okay. But he but then he thinks about it, and it doesn't take him long to say, you know what. Mm-mm. I can't do this. I, if I right. if I'm gonna yep. trust God, I gotta trust God, and 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 so He doesn't. And I'm so sure he, Maxwell crossed his mind. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, See, Maxwell is actually Maxwell is actually playing a, a a role that could be positive in a way. He will make you think twice before you. Maxwell could probably be keeping some pastors right. out of trouble. He makes right, you think right. twice about it. That's right. That's right. Because even Bishop Jones, and for a minute there though. When it first happened, when he first realized what was going on, he was very angry. He was very angry at the associate minister that he would even put his ministry in jeopardy like that, bringing that kind of nonsense into the church. And then he was angry at when he found out what the pastor, the, the minister was doing with the young lady, who really was somebody who was struggling with pain. She had back issues, and she needed the, the 
the, the prescriptions, and he's taking advantage of that. So the the bishop was very angry. I mean, he he he'd grown tremendously from back when he was in the small church in Chester, but you know, and he didn't like what was going on, and he tried to use it as an opportunity to mentor the the minister, and he thought it was all resolved. And of course, you know, when the when the when the um, when the police and the agents come busting in, you know, some some time later, weeks and months later, he realized that maybe it hadn't been resolved. <laughs> oh wow! But but Maxwell's okay with that. He doesn't care if the bishop was involved or not because he Maxwell's belief is that if you get in trouble today for something you didn't do, it just it just it just covers what you got away with before and you didn't get charged with. So it's comeuppance for him. He didn't care how the bishop got to prison. Because as far as he's concerned, it, he deserved it from back in the day when his parents served time and the bishop didn't. So uh, he don't care. Uh, and you know what? There's another thing thing that comes out in this, in in uh, relentless and in, in redeemed. With it, with uh, I'm sure Maxwell is starting to, like you say, his conversion. He's starting to change, but uh, or he maybe he has changed by the time redeemed opens. But the theme of when you think. And do we not all struggle with this? You think you know why something happened. You think you know all the missing pieces, but you don't. And you work with what you think you know, and you're so sure. You're so sure. I know why she did that. I know why he did that. And the stuff you don't know, and you fill in the gaps and you get it all wrong. And like Maxwell, you could spend years, and then you find out later, oops, I did. Yeah. I had it all wrong. I had. You, you, how many times do you get upset about something, and then you find out I, I had that all wrong. I didn't even need to be upset. I wasted all the time being upset for nothing. How many times right. do you think you know and you don't know? So that's another thing I see coming out. Maybe readers will walk away with thinking, maybe I had that all wrong. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, maybe I yes. had that all wrong. And, and and even and even if you didn't have it wrong, there's a point where. Do you really want to take twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years of your life? Yes. And come and have it bound, be live in bondage for something that that may even happen that was out of your control, or, or something yes. that 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 that's not causing you. It's not causing you to be the best of who you can be. You don't want that kind of bondage for that long. No, ever any time. Is there a major lesson? We we see a lesson Maxwell learns how to forgive, and then we just discuss. You know, you you there's you might think you know everything, but you don't. But is there a major lessons that Bishop Jones learns as the story unfolds? I I think I think not only there a, a lesson that he learned, even with him, is a sense of forgiveness because even though he's in prison, you know, um, he as you look through the as you follow even into redeem, you'll see that he he really. Um, wishes he had been sterner, obviously with the with the um, with the associate minister. And I think one of the things he learns is that when there is an impropriety, if you are the man of God and you're in the church and you're running the church, you're held to a very high standard. And even when you see impropriety, you have to nip it in the bud. You have to take action. You have to be very firm with it. You can't let it just kind of trickle along or you know even give into those temptations because once you do, you're compromised. And once you're compromised. Anything can happen. So he realizes, I think that he, when he looks back, you see that he was like, you know, he should have just taken a harder, firmer stand against any impropriety in that church on his watch. He's, a, he's responsible and accountable for that church and for the people that go there, that they're in the right place spiritually. And he didn't do that necessarily. Mm. Have any of your books, because they sound like it, but have you 
taking any of your books and base them on a real life event. So if something happens in the news, and I know some writers do this, and you're like, ah, oh, that make a great novel. Are any of your books? And if you can't say specifically, that's okay. But are any of them based either loosely or more tightly on anything that has happened that we've read about in the news on any real life events? No, no, they're really just Bible. I mean, the two, my two series, the one, the the Mitchell family drama series with Unforgiving, and then the other one, um, the Redeemed series with Relentless, and then Redeemed will be the second book. But those are based on Bible stories. The Apostle Paul for the for the Redeemed series, and um, King David and King Solomon for the um, for the Mitchell family drama series. I, I, they're just those series are those are, those are first time I've written series. Those series are based on modern day Bible stories. My other books weren't even based on any any current uh, uh, storyline. I take issues. Now, I've had books that have dealt with, you know, how a couple deals with breast cancer in their family, you know, how it affects the marriage, the finances, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. I've dealt with, um, you know, a, 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 um, a biracial couple, that the issues that happen with them in the church. I've taken all kinds of topics that are, you know, just current. I've taken abuse, like a, the husband was physically abusive, but then the wife got really hooked on online chat rooms and, date, you know, dating people and all that stuff. Um, but I take modern-day topics that I think are real and people can relate to and try to put real characters in there so that it looks real because you have real realistic characters who live around the way. you like, I know that person. I know somebody like that. You know, the characters, the topics are, are modern-day, and then you put those into a story, and you're like, I could see that happening because it's based on a lot of reality. You know what I mean? Like the characters mm-hmm. are real. Yeah. yeah but the no, stories aren't based that, on anything. Oh, okay. And that, and that definitely comes across. Well, universal themes are universal and they're timeless. Mm-hmm. So you could take – Right. It, it's, it's timeless, so you could use it at, at, at any time. And actually, the author we had on last week said the same thing. Relationships are relationships. If you're dealing with a relationship, you, that's just something that has happened between people like since time began, so you could you could really just modernize it, like you said. Now we know writing and publishing a book is the first step. Then you have to get out there and you have to sell the book. And you said you're going to be in Rockford and Milwaukee and a couple of other areas in the Illinois, um, in the in the Milwaukee area also mm-hmm. for our listeners who want to get out and come and meet you in person and get a signed copy of Unforgiving and then Redeemed is coming out in the in the fall and you're co-authoring that with Gracie. But that said, you know, writing and publishing a book is the first step and we only have like a few minutes left. Then you have to actually get out and sell the book. Can you share four to five marketing steps that you found work for you, not something you read in a blog, not something you read online, not something somebody told you, but you could say, I have proof this worked for me. When I started doing this, my book sales increased by 10 or 20%, et cetera. Could you share four or five marketing steps? And they may not work for every listener out there who might have a book or or, or you might have a small business product and you want to market it. All these steps might not work for you, but – some of them might, or again, they might not, but for some people they may. Can you just share four to five steps that you found worked for you, Patricia? Yeah, and, and spread the word from, about your books. Yeah, and it's, 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 since when 98, when my first book came out, Nobody's Perfect, it has gotten so much easier to do now because really, like social media, like Facebook, like being able to get out there and, you know, have an author page and putting your book and information out there and getting the followers and, you know, and um, and using that to to just say when your book's coming out, or if you're having an event, you know that that's really 
helpful and it's inexpensive. That's that's what's amazing. Um, I definitely use pay for some of the other um, um, e blasts like like the Good Girl Book Book Club, um, the um, Black Christian um, Book Promotion. They're phenomenal. Like um, um, Sormog, you know, the Shades of Romance, um, Ella Curry uh, Pearls. You know, those are and they're all relatively very reasonably priced. And mm-hmm. and Cush City and I can take all those. You you can probably do all of them for you know maybe six hundred seven with everything all added together. But using those e-blasts that have, they have like um, anywhere from 50,000 to like 100,000 people in their, on their mail list. So you want to you wanna pay for those, get a nice, nice um, you know, promotion done, and let them send it out to their reader base. So those work. Getting some postcards, $50 for like 1,000 of them, sending them out to people just announcing that your book, get, get your mailing list. Whenever I go out to book signings, I get a list of names and addresses, and I send those out. I also pr- use my website to make sure all my books out there, the information, but I send an e-blast to my mailing list. So my mm. e-blast and an email from my list, which basically just pay your webmaster, you do it yourself, get some postcards, send those out, um, pay for some paid promos, which are which are effective and very reasonably priced, use social media, and lastly, like you, coming on like the radio shows, like you, you guys, I mean, this is a blessing for us really as authors, being able to come, talk about your book, you know, get it out there. Some people, you know, find out about it that didn't know about it before. Now they're exposed to it. And that's just, and that's, you know, look at that. It's, you know, it's cost effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, yeah. no, 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 no. And those are good tips, the postcards. Uh, and that those have also worked for me that when you go out to different events, ask people. Don't get upset because if somebody doesn't buy your book, because a lot of times people tell you they're going to buy your book and they don't buy it mm-hmm. right there, but get their contact information so you can at least yep. keep in touch with them so you do get something from each event that you go to. You know, you have to find a way to make things become a win. You say, I didn't get a book sale, but I did get some contact information. I can keep in touch with the person. So that's the postcards. Those are effective. They they are mm-hmm. still effective. People used to use them more in the past with before the social media and the Internet became bigger, but they're still effective. We have come to the end of today's show. I just really want to thank Patricia Haley Glass. Patricia <laughs> Haley Glass, who are off the shelf listening. And our website is patriciahaley.com, P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A-H-A-L-E-Y.com, patriciahaley.com. And she's, she's co-authoring now with Gracie. Gracie Hill, correct? Yes, yes. Gracie Hill, she was on Off the Shelf Listeners earlier this year. But the latest novel, and this is Patricia's novel that she did not co-author, her latest, and it brings closure to her series, is Yay. Unforgiving. Unforgiving It came out <laughs> April the 1st. Then you've got Relentless, which we discussed. Redeemed is 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 the next book in that series, and she co-authored that with Gracie Hill, and that will be out this fall. Redeemed. Relentless is out now. She's also written Nobody's Perfect, No Regrets, Blind Faith, Blessed Assurance, Still Waters. We could go on and on. Her book Chosen was nominated Best Christian Fiction of 2009. No, no Regrets, it was an Essence Magazine bestseller. And then Blind Faith won the 2003 Romance and Color BET New, New Spirit Book of the Year Award. Again, you can visit her online, patriciahaley.com. Again, the latest book out, Unforgiving, Redeemed to be out in the fall. We want to thank Patricia for being here with us for at Off the Shelf. I want to thank each of you and wish you, again, a blessed, happy, just joyous 
Easter. So happy, happy Easter to all of you. See you back here next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please tell your friends, your colleagues, book lovers everywhere, tune in to Off the Shelf Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or 11 a.m. I say New York City time for those who might be in other parts of the country or other parts of the world. We want to thank Patricia. And remember, you are amazing. You're awesome. You're incredible. Go out and create a wonderful, fabulous day for yourself. Patricia, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for Thank now. you, Denise. Congratulations.